Hello and welcome to podcast number 60, happy anniversary, of the Sitcom Club. Joining myself, Mooncat, is your Palojo. Hello. What's happening? I thought we'd do some house clearing. We're going to have a good old peer into the GPO post bag. It's a bit empty. How do you mean? I'm looking here, I'm not seeing that many communications with us. I think that... But we have some to deal with. Where communications don't exist, we need to make them. Has it been like a year since the last time we did anything approaching a mailbag? It's something like that, yes. So there are issues to address, and we will address them. And there are also some other sitcom-related matters that we're going to bring up. And so, yeah, we're just going to have a a general old hee-haw. First up, as you say, we've got some housekeeping to attend to. So there's a couple of things that we're going to lay out on the table. Not last of summer wine style, nothing like that. But just to let you know, there won't be a new podcast next week. So we're going to take a little break just to sort of catch up on bits and pieces and get our recordings all in order and get ahead of the curve and what have you. So if you've actually got like a whole ton of other things you need to be doing today when you're listening to this and you know that you've got a sort of freer schedule next week, you might want to hold this back because it's not really sort of time critical except for the bit where I tell you that Still Game Live is on BBC One Scotland at the end of this week. That bit is topical but the rest of it isn't. So like I say... Do you think no- people actually put off important things just to listen to us? I like to think that people would listen to us whilst doing important things because we are, of course, in the medium of audio. So unlike, for example... The television demanding your attention all the time in the corner, saying "Look at me, look at me," Brucey style. You know, we're something that can complement to whatever it is that you're doing. So, if you're descaling the kettle, for example, or if there's some god awful stench behind the back of the washing machine, and you're really dreading finding out what it is, and you've gone in there with the rubber gloves, we might be your accompaniment to that. Point is, we're back in two weeks' time with all manner of sitcom-related chat. Want to ask you a question, dear listener? As you have probably noticed if you're a regular listener, or even if you're not, we tend to concentrate on sitcoms, on the Sitcom Club, hence the name. Now, we'd like your feedback on whether you would like us to broaden our horizons. Would you like us to talk about more than just sitcoms on the podcast? Let us know. Tweet us at the Sitcom Club. Leave us some feedback on Facebook the sitcom club on there and also you can email us feedback at sitcomclub.com let us know any way you want if you'd like us to sort of broaden our minds and if you'd like the podcast to develop into something which is a bit more sort of pop cultural and i don't mean like lady gaga or anything like that we're not gonna be talking about the x factor i mean nothing to do with the 21st century ideally i mean we're gonna be sort of odd man out again no we're gonna stick very much to the the beta max generation in whatever area that we talk about. But let us know anyway, because you know, we'd like to hear your feedback. And if you really want us to stick to sitcoms and say, oh no, don't start talking about anything else whatsoever, and if you do, then it's going to be trouble, then say it, but say it in a nice way, and not the way that I just said it just now, which was actually vaguely threatening. Sitcom-related bits and pieces. If you are not aware, because we quite often plug, for example, some of the shows that run ITV free of an afternoon, because they have like a triple block of comedies. But if you're not aware... You can also find a whole big batch of sitcoms in a rather unusual place. You know, Ocho, how occasionally you mention drama? I have been known to, yes. There is a channel in the UK which I think is sort of blunt and to the point when it comes to the name of the station and communicating what it is that they do. The channel's called Drama. Nevertheless, somewhat contravening their own name, they do actually have a block of comedy. 
on every evening at 6 p.m. And you can find this channel on Freeview, channel 20 as well as on Satellite and Cable. And at the moment, amongst their comedies, they're actually repeating the live reports. I think these episodes are from about 71, it's probably series 2, because we established when we were looking into the ins and outs of it, Ultra, that series 1, which has Pauline Collins, not Nerys Hughes, alongside Polly James, that's pretty much gone now, isn't it? It's pretty much white. There's a sequence, or more than one sequence, but not the whole episode of episode 1. And beyond that, yes, the pilot and the other three episodes from series 1 are definitely long gone. Well, this appears to be Series 2 that's on drama at the moment. Probably actually by the time you hear this, they'll be on Series 3. But yes, have a wee look at it. It's well worth checking out. It's not a show which gets vast amount of airtime these days. It's sometimes, like Citizen Smith, for example, sometimes turns up in the outer reaches of the gold schedule. But it's very, very good. I'm really, really enjoying it. And also, it's great fun if you like to spot the actor, like Ocho and I quite often do. I mean, just in the past week, we've had Clive Swift turn up and Ken Jones and Bill Dean who later on was in Brookside. I've had uh, John Junkin and John Nettles and all sorts of people. Arturo Morris as well from the pilot episode of Citizen Smith. So like I say that's on at the moment on weekdays and as I alluded to earlier on if you listen to this show on the day it came out end of this week Friday night BBC One Scotland which you can find anywhere in the UK on satellite and cable and also on the iPlayer stream as well. They are showing an edited version of the still game live show from the hydro just this past few months so that's nine o'clock on friday night so don't miss that because that's going to be smashing we do have some bits and pieces to attend to from cliff's mailbag first up laps cat thank you very much indeed for your kind comments about citizen smith last week laps cat actually invited us to take part in a forum discussion which is not something that we often do i mean i know that actually we came from the forums initially when we developed the sitcom club all that time ago but laps forums are hell well yeah i'm I'm not i mean i've been a forum administrator in a previous life and it's not much fun so yeah they're not really somewhere that i tend to hang around these days but i'm very very pleased that laps cat brought this thread to our attention because the question was which sitcoms would be improved by having an orgy episode you did actually reply Ocho via the sitcom I have, yeah I have the answer to that okay now for anybody who doesn't follow us on Twitter and why the hell not then what was your response to that you're only young twice the Yorkshire Television's old folks home sitcom starring Peggy Manton Pat Coombs the answer was not warmly received I actually think that it wouldn't happen. It would just be hilarious seeing what they thought an orgy was. And it would probably not bear any relation to any event previously seen by Yorkshire Television camera. They'd probably all be wearing bobble hats. What happens now? I don't know. Why is there a bowl of raw sprouts in the middle of the floor? I'm pretty sure that's what they do at them. (laughs) But I like this idea that no matter what sitcom it is that would have an orgy episode, it would never happen. And I think that if it did happen, it really wouldn't be a sitcom anymore, would it? Let's be honest, but no, we're not talking about comedy drama here. We're not talking about anything remotely serious. So we're talking about something that's a nice, light-hearted, studio-based sitcom. I really am struggling to imagine an orgy even being described by one of the participants, let alone seen. It's the kind of thing that perhaps Jack could very, very vaguely allude to in a conversation with Stan. But even then, he wouldn't go into specifics. Surely not. 
the look on Stan's face when he walked into the drawing room and found out what was going on with Blakey and the Clippies. Oh my god. Well, even that Galton and Simpson playhouse, which is all about an orgy. We don't actually see the orgy, we just see Henry McGee in a short robe. (laughs) (laughs) And we're left to imagine the rest. Some people won't imagine the rest. For some people, that would be enough. Seeing the McGee knees. It's not like autofocus. Is it autofocus? Is that the name of the film about Bob Crane from Hogan's Heroes? Oh, I don't know about this. With Greg Kinnear and Willem Dafoe. This is all new. What, is this something on Netflix or something? I was No, I saw it in an actual movie theatre when it came out. Autofocus is a 2002 American biographical film. stars Greg Kinnear and William Dafoe. And it's based on the book The Murder of Bob Crane by Robert Graysmith. It tells the story of the actor Bob Crane, affable radio show host and amateur drummer, who found success in Hogan's Heroes and his dramatic descent into the underbelly of Hollywood after the series was cancelled. No, this has completely passed me by. Swinging, basically. I see. It's all about swinging. So is that what happens then? Yes, apparently. Oh, what Hogan's Heroes cancelled equals swinging. Is that like the way that it normally goes? Well, to say any more would be to give away the plot of the movie. And I'm sure oh, no, no, I wasn't, like I wasn't talking about the movie. I discover was... this for themselves. No, I wasn't talking about the movie. I was talking about this as in just general cause and effect. As in, if you have been in Hogan's Heroes, I'm when pretty it gets sure there were people who were in Hogan's Heroes who didn't go down that route. Okay. So I think right. Bob Crane was the one. So what we're talking about is rather than starring Greg Kinnear and Willem Dafoe, we're not talking about Henry McGee and Richard Bryars. Well, who'd play which part, really? It was Henry McGee, the Willem Dafoe of his time? I think not. <laughs> we'll have to come back to Richard Bryars in a second because we made a discovery about a Richard Bryars sitcom that we'd never heard of just yesterday. But, okay, I've got an idea. I've got an idea as to how this could go. I'm going to propose that there was an orgy episode. Biopic of the Crankies. No, no. Okay. I'm going to propose that there was an orgy episode. Biopic of just one of the Crankies. Which one? Well, that's what pre-production is all about, taking these tough decisions. (laughs) That's what you could call it, tough decisions. For those of you who aren't aware, the Crankies' real surname is tough. (laughs) It's half written. (laughs) We could even have the bit about the post office. Yeah, Didn't no, no. That's... Ian's brother run a post office. You can't say that on the bloody podcast. That's going to... That, too... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we can talk about their sex lives, but we no, can't say... talk about post offices. No. You've crossed the line there. Right, okay. Now, let me explain. Their sex life, they wrote about in their autobiography, but the fact that... Ian Tuff's brother once ran a post office that I used to frequent. Ian Tuff's brother is not a public figure, so therefore that's not really suitable for broadcast. Yes, the one thing we can't discuss people licking is stamps. Oh, now you see, you've got to lower the tone now, you see. I mean, we try and keep this show PG era. We don't. It's got an explicit time. Have on. you read the autobiography? What? Crankies? It might be full of stuff about that post office. Oh, oh God. This is as bad as what Frank Skinner said about you-know-who. Now, anyway, right. Now, listen. I've got an idea as to how we can have an orgy episode of a sitcom. I'm going to propose Man About the House, right? And it's not what you think. And that's the name of the show. That's the name of the episode. All I know is that George is not invited. No, no. I I wouldn't. See, this is the thing, okay? Now, years and years ago, I can't remember what it was for, but there was a nice little advert that was on. Advert basically was two couples sat around a table and one of the blokes is out of the room and he comes back into the room and his wife says to him, we were just talking about wife swapping. And the fella says, well, I'm game. And then she says, we were talking about how disgusting it was. I'm thinking that we could have some sort of misunderstanding involving George. Because when 
the orgy is first suggested, and it's going to be, let's face it, it's going to be Larry up the stairs. Introduces the com- <laughs> introduces the subject into the conversation. Is that a position? Larry up the stairs. <laughs> I'm sure the A and E units <laughs> up and down the land are filled with people who attempted. Okay, the point is that Leisure Suit Larry up the stairs. He introduces the idea of them having an orgy. You know, the three of them downstairs. They're not really best keen. I mean, Robin, he's sort of thinking, uh, well, you know. Uh, well, Robin's thinking about improving his Jimmy Greaves impression. <laughs> Robin's Jimmy Greaves impersonation does not require improvement. He is the best Jimmy Greaves impressionist of his generation. The girls, they're not going for it. They're having nothing to do with this. right? But the point is that George has misheard something that Mildred has said earlier on. Mildred's talked about going to like the WI meeting or something like that, but he's got the wrong end of the stick and she thinks that she's off, you know, having a dalliance somewhere. So he thinks, okay, well, if it's good enough for her, you know, and before you know it, he's, you know, and actually this sounds really grim, the way that I'm explaining this. This doesn't sound remotely amusing. This actually sounds more like that bloody film. This sounds like George's descent into some sort of Neller world that he knew nothing of and didn't want to know anything about. And it's reminding me actually about a particular person who I won't name, uh, who got involved in a sort of S&M scandal about sort of 20 years ago or so. This is all just becoming quite dark and really not at all suitable for anything that's going to get shown at 5.25 on ITV3. I don't want to see this episode of Man About the House. Why have you put this idea into my head? You're the one who brought it to a man about the house. I never br- Well, yeah, well, yes. <laughs> You've got me there. You painted me into a corner. So I was all thinking about all the old ladies at You Only Live Twice, wondering why they all got Ronco Buttoneers super glued to the ceiling. I'm pretty sure that's what it said in the book. You're holding this upside down. <laughs> now, let's see what this really says. Oh, good heavens, slams the book shut, end credits... Everything's back to normal next week. You might just leave a few buttonier glue stains on the ceiling just for continuity because the audience aren't fools. When you say slams the book shut, if Henry McGee's nearby <laughs> and his dressing gown has fallen out, oh my God. Oh, make your eyes water. Well, yeah, I'm liking that. Okay, we're going to commission that. So that's part of the canon now. Now, how come that episode isn't on the DVD of You're Only, You're Only Young Twice? Because it wasn't made. If we say it, if we talk about it on the show... because I know I was only a few miles... From Kirkstall at the time they were making this sitcom. I think I was. I don't know. Maybe they stopped making it before I was born. They must have repeated it a lot. I definitely remember it from my early childhood. But I wasn't of an age where Paul Fox is going to be on the phone (laughs) saying, you've got to come down to the studios now and turn this ship around. (laughs) Well, as far as I'm concerned, if we've discussed it on the show, then it happened. Because we're not in the habit on this show of making stuff up, are we? So, no. So, okay, let's, we'll check the Radio Times Guide to Comedy, and if that episode isn't in there, then we'll put it in there. So thank you very much, Lapscat, for that. And also thank you for... <laughs> I don't know really if that answered your question. But... Taught you a lesson. At least you now have the image of Henry McGee getting his old fella caught in a big encyclopedia like that. Also, you tweeted this a while back, and you asked us about the damp squib ending because we had that episode a few weeks ago about different types of endings to shows. 
you mentioned the damp squib ending, and you said Game On ended spectacularly with a knob gag. Well, I'll tell you now, whatever knob gag it was, it wasn't as good as that one with Henry McGee, because <laughs> you're not going to top that. But Game On, as I probably mentioned before, is not a show I'm really a big fan of, so if it just ended with one of the characters with his lad in his hand looking forlorn, then as far as I'm concerned, that's, 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 that's fine. That's probably an improvement, as far as most of the show was concerned. I think damp squib is... A value judgment rather than a classification. I think an acknowledged, unacknowledged, or whatever the other ones were, could all be damp squibs or spectacular. In fact, can we think of a damp squib of an acknowledged ending? Something that was saying, okay, it's the last episode, ba da ba da ba da ba da and then it's just ultimately unsatisfying. Probably a rarity in comedy, probably the rule in drama. I'm going to say Roseanne. Oh, yes. And, I mean, the whole of the last series of Roseanne was not great anyway. But, yeah, that was just sort of... Uh... Spoiler alert, I'm going to briefly mention what the conclusion to Roseanne is. If you don't want to hear it, fast forward 30 seconds. So it's basically revealed that everything that happened after a certain point in the previous series was Roseanne writing. It was all fiction. That, to me, is the same sort of cop-out as when What's-His-Name turned up in the shower in Dallas. You know what I mean, where it's like, oh, it's all been a dream, all that kind of bollocks. So, yeah, when you... Well, comics was afflicted with it for a while, to the extent that shocking developments on covers had to sort of say, this is not an imaginary story. In other words, we're not going to reveal at the end that this is fan fiction that Alfred Pennyworth has written about Batman, which is kind of creepy when you realise that he's basically writing fan fiction about his boss. I have never written fan fiction about any of my employers. But he did enough of it that it actually meant the comics industry had to disavow such activities. Well, you're the only piece of fan fiction I've ever enjoyed. And when I say enjoyed, I don't mean like in that particular sense. I just mean as in it was it was moderately amusing. A few years back, someone wrote some additional episodes of Keeping Up Appearances. And oh, no. Dear listener, did you just detect that point there when Ocho realised what it was I was talking about and he's just like, oh, God. And now we're sort of thinking, okay, well, how far can we go with this on the show? But all I'll say about it is that it involves Hyacinth being away for the weekend, leaving Richard to his own devices. And he gets up to more than just gardening, put it that way. There's an episode involving Onslow, there's one involving Emmett next door. There is, I think maybe be the vicar as well i'm not sure it sort of follows a rather predictable path each and every week probably that postman who turns up who's always getting scared off oh the one who was in hard day's night yes yeah him it's probably one involving himself and he was the second hair flick and unfortunately this was never commissioned by the bbc so you're just gonna have to imagine it for yourself i mean i saw this on the internet it was like a story in digital spy in like 2002 or something like that and i think it might still be kicking about somewhere but maybe one week, if we get in touch with the author and he gives permission, maybe we'll actually read it out on air. Don't hold your breath for that podcast. Now, on Facebook, Bertie got in touch with us when we were talking about On the Buses Ill Week, and I mentioned Reg Varney being 52 when he was playing that young scamp, Stan. And she says, yeah, Reg Varney was 52 when he played 30-something Stan. He's like the anti-John Faw. Now, do we have any other examples of antis? Do we have any sort of people who just couldn't exist in the same universe? The thing is, is the enjoyable thing is it's the John Thor game. Whenever you see him, 
work out what year it was made. He was born in 1942, and then you can spend the rest of the program or film going, good heavens, good heavens, he was only that age. I was just watching an Edgar Wallace film the other day, and he's 21. He's not. I actually have a Granada play from 1961, and it exists on VT. He is 19. He looks pretty much the same as he does in The Sweeney, just with dark hair. He said himself he was born looking 50. Just to confirm, I have checked on Google, and I cannot find any instance of John Faw and Reg Varney appearing in the same programme. However, I should point out that the page just says some results may have been removed under data protection law in Europe. So it is possible <laughs> uh, that for whatever reason... The thing is, I'm not sure Reg Varney is the anti-John Thor. He doesn't necessarily look significantly older than he really is, but I'm going to say he looks exactly as old as he is. And that's part of the problem. Say the anti-John Thor is more likely to be Barry Evans. How old was he when he was in the first episode of Doctor in the House when he's supposed to be playing an 18-year-old? And while he doesn't look 18, you're not going, this is completely ridiculous. Okay, Barry Evans born 1943, so he would have been 26. Yes. And he was playing fairly juvenile parts, which I believe was one of the problems he started to have when his star waned after the mucky movies he made. Well, no, the thing is, though, that he was in the mucky movies Adventures of a Taxi Driver and Under the Doctor, both in 1976. But then you could say that he actually had his biggest role of all in Mind Your Language a year afterwards. That's true. And that is a terrible research failure on my part. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the time I finally realised that I wasn't and did not qualify as a geek. I was watching... It was a cheaper documentary about Alec Guinness. And he got up to the mid-70s, and it was going to the ad break, and it said, but his most celebrated big-screen role was yet to come. I thought, most celebrated big-screen role? But we're already up to, like, 1975 in this thing. There isn't really much left. I mean, George Smiley, that's television. The hell did he do in the late 70s <laughs> that people would have heard of? Apparently there was a movie called Star Wars. And I had managed to completely forget it existed. Don't forget, I didn't actually see Star Wars until 1999. You mean you didn't see it get its ITV premiere in 1982? No, and I didn't live in... Was it TS, oh, TSW did show that, didn't, didn't they? Didn't they? They did, yes, yes. Oh, I, okay. I it was, was suggesting... It was Black Hole, wasn't it? It was the Black Hole that TSW opted out well, of for... Star Wars, Black Hole, they're pretty much the same film, aren't they? Now, it's got Spaceship in it. What more do you want? must be places on the internet where you get into terrible trouble on forums for saying something like that. Presumably any Star Wars forums, and also, strangely enough, any Black Hole forums, if there is such a thing. Tell you what, though. As I was looking up John Thaw and Reg Varney there just now, the first hit that I got on Google was from a Last of the Summer Wine forum. And somebody had asked the question, which actor do you wish had made a guest appearance in Last of the Summer Wine? And a lot of people just sort of throwing names out there. Not too many of them really sort of given a lot of context as to how they would have liked the cameo to go. But it's just people saying, oh, I'd like to have seen David Jason and Penelope Keefe and so on. But as the thread develops, some of the suggestions here are getting a bit more interesting. For example, Robert Powell. Yeah, I can imagine Robert Powell being in Last of Summer Wine. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I've seen him in The Detectives. We know that he can do broad comedy, not just do comedy, but he can actually really mess around and be very silly. 
This one I like because somebody here has actually given potential storyline as well. Bill Oddie as a bird watcher being pestered by the trio. Now, have the trio dressed in giant bird outfits and just like <laughs> pecking him to no actual purpose. And also, I want Bill Oddie to be playing himself. And ideally, in the style of... Didn't Bill Oddie play himself in The Detectives? He didn't play himself, but he did play a bird oh, okay. watcher. Yes. Jimmy Talbot played himself, though, didn't he? Did he? Oh, I believe so. Because there was something where, I think it was the detectives, where they did this bird-watching, bird-smuggling thing, and the local twitchers got wind of it, thought that there were camera crews covering some sort of incredibly rare sighting, and it's like, oh, it might not. Oh, hang on a minute, Bill Oddie's there. There's definitely something happening. <laughs> well, the way that this is described here, I want this to be Bill Oddie himself, and ideally, perhaps in the style of the Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy film Bowfinger, Bill Oddie doesn't actually know that he's in Last of Summer Wine, so they've just got the trio from Last of Summer Wine to annoy him while he's on the set of Springwatch, for example. This could be a lovely development. I mean, this could be a whole new genre of sitcom. The hidden camera sitcom. Taking the Noel Edmonds gotcha to the next level. There's another suggestion here. Don French. The vicar from the Vicar of Dibley relocates to Holmesfirth. She and her absent-minded assistant... They didn't put Holmesfirth, did they? That says Holmesfirth there. That's what well, it says. Well, they, they shouldn't be posting on the last of the Summer Wine forum. Summer Wine never that had... might just be a typo. What the hell have I got authority to <laughs> condemn people for a misplaced S? Sorry. Summer Wine never had a vicar as a regular. She and her absent-minded assistant, Alice... I'm not sure that's an entirely accurate description of Alice as a character, but nevertheless, would have fit in great with the Summer Wine characters. Now... Okay, so far we've got a nice little bit of context for a couple of the guest stars. This one, this guy here, has actually laid out pretty much an entire episode. I know a lot of you are just lukewarm in your feelings towards keeping up appearances, and I think that... Lukewarm! Well, now hang on, no. We we did actually... Christopher Biggins allows us to catch up with the character subsequent to his second incarceration that we learned about at the beginning of Going Straight. Oh, well, we didn't, he didn't get incarcerated. Second, he pro- probably was sixth turn. Well, we know that he was house. We know that he was up in the dock. We don't know if he got incarcerated a second time. But we were watching Doctor at Sea the other day, and there was Lukewarm, pretty much, in all but name. He turned up, and I thought, ah, what Lukewarm did next? But anyway, okay, so when the guy says here that I know a lot of you are Lukewarm towards keeping up appearances, I presume you meant yourself when he wrote this. No, lukewarm is not the word. But I would love to have seen Richard and Hyacinth getting lost in the Holmforth countryside. Perhaps their car would break down and Richard would have to get help from the trio. Hyacinth would stay in the car, not wanting anything to do with the trio, and Foggy, although well-intentioned, would get Richard more mixed up. During the same time as keeping up appearances was waiting for God. Therefore, I would love to have seen Tom and Diane visit Holmforth on a holiday. I'm liking all these suggestions. I think that there's a lot of scope here to actually expand the Last of the Summer Wine franchise. Into Metal Mickey. <laughs> Just before I close this page. Um, so far, I think that all of those names that we mentioned there, I think they were all perfectly legit. They all could have been in the show. I think that one person here possibly hasn't quite understood the idea of this thread. Amongst the names that he suggests are Bing Crosby, Groucho <laughs> Marx, Peter Sellers, Jimmy Durante, Andy Griffith, and Don Knotts. This is just one episode. (laughs) 
That's going to be a Christmas special. You're going Surviving to all, a shower. If they're all turning up, that's going to be the Christmas special. You're not just going to throw that out as episode three. And finally, Charlie Chaplin. All right, then, well, I'll give him some names if we're going to be daft about it. Clive Jenkins. How about him, then? Let's have him on the show. Jimmy Nail. Jimmy Hill. Christopher Lee. Lord Palmerston. Paddington Bear. Pizzicato 5. Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Mornington Crescent. Hey! What do you make of that new Paddington Bear? I saw that trailer where he was digging in his ears with a toothbrush and I have not watched anything of the character <laughs> since. No, I just mentioned Richard Briars there as potentially in Last of Summer when even though he wasn't. Now, we made an astonishing discovery the other day. We found out there's a Richard Briars sitcom that we've never heard of called Goodbye Mr. Kent. Oh, yes. Co-starring Hannah Gordon. You were looking for old Radio Times's, and you sent me an eBay link, and there it was right on the cover. Their grins were a little bit alarmingly Stepford. So do you think that the show had a sort of dark undercurrent? Well, apparently it was inspired by The Odd Couple. The writer whose name escapes me had been writing an adaptation of The Odd Couple, and he decided he really liked the character of Oscar so much. He was just trying to imagine him in a slightly different situation. So Richard Bryars is playing a bit of a slob for whom things never come out right. But instead of Jack Lemmon or Tony Randall, it's Hannah Gordon, and he's lodging. But that was 1982, and not long after that. I mean, went out in January 84, so shooting sometime in 83 was ever-decreasing circles. So I think... Briar's sitcom destiny was fixed for the next few years. Speaking of one-off series, we also saw the other day a trailer for Grundy with Harry H. Corbett. Now, I have... You saw it. I, you told me about it. I only saw it still on Twitter. Ah, okay. Right. Well, I mean... I didn't actually bother clicking. I can't click on everything. Previously, I did put out a plea for any listener who had even so much as one episode of Honey for Tea with Felicity Kendall to get in touch. Unfortunately, we're still looking. But I'll repeat the appeal. If anyone has a copy of Grundy with Harry H. Corbett from 1980, where he plays opposite Linda Barron, please get in touch. Because I find it bizarre that that show hasn't actually really made it out anywhere. I mean, it hasn't made it out on DVD. It hasn't been on ITV3. I never even saw it in Carlton Select. Yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? I mean, considering some of the stuff that comes out in DVD these days, you'd think that a show with Harry H. Carpet. Hang on! <laughs> it's one thing to get foggyish about the state of modern television, but personally, I think old rot being at least available <laughs> to check on DVD is a good thing. Who seriously wants You're to... The kind of, you, come, come on, are you the kind of person who isn't happy about the fact that Shadow Squad and Knight Errant Limited got a DVD release, even though nobody really remembers them? I was actually thinking of Animal Quackers. <laughs> hey, I've got that! In fact, one of these days I'm going to rip all the Beatles songs and edit them into little videos and put them up on Facebook for my American friends to be appalled by. Tell me legitimately, okay... Have you actually watched every episode of Animal Quackers on that DVD? I have watched all the songs. I will admit, I skipped the stories. Oh, what? Oh, that's, that's bang out of order. So I was curious to know what rock and roll classics they played, and somewhere I have a list, because I wanted to go back and harvest all the Beatles songs for my Beatles fan friends. But somewhere I have a list of every song played on Animal Quackers. I mean, the intro to the Animal Quackers theme sounds like Get Back. 
And if I had limitless resources, I would get a film crew and reconstruct the performance of Get Back on top of Apple headquarters at Savile Row, but with the Animal Quackers doing the Animal Quackers theme. I'm not sure if I could get somebody to accept this as like a short to put, maybe, you know, they could put it before Captain America 3 when that comes out. And everybody go, what was the point of that again? Speaking of Captain America 3, what's all that about? I mean, what's how I keep on hearing bits and pieces about like Marvel and stuff like that. So what's happening? Marvel are continuing to make films in the anticipation of great success, seeing as they were able to get things that had been previously thought of as very obscure, like Guardians of the Galaxy, into theatres and people watching them. And of course, Marvel are owned by Disney, so they have a massive marketing machine behind them. So I just know they're going to keep churning them out until one of them flops badly. So what is this thing I keep on seeing adverts for on Sky One called The Flash? Ah, they don't. They don't. Oh, do that's it like DC that. Comics. Oh, that's I a see. TV series. Right. Okay. And nah, I haven't watched any of it. But if there are not adverts for Flash kitchen floor cleaner in that show with Carl Howman, yes, then that is a seriously missed opportunity. Now we've got a research project that we need to undertake for the benefit of the sitcom club. Because, are we going to admit to this? It's not anything outrageous, so I think we can. We do actually possess over 1,200 copies of the TV Times in electronic form. We don't actually have them all piled up like in the room. We've got scanned copies of them. Is it that many? Yeah, 1,200. Yeah. Wow. And so quite often we'll consult these and we'll find all manner of interesting things. Like, for example, we've found a photograph of... Derek Deadman with his trousers around his ankles. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you don't get in Heat magazine. Quite often we'll refer back to these when we're doing research for bits and pieces. We need to find a specific copy of the TV Times because I'm a little bit concerned that someone, through no fault of their own, has accidentally misquoted the TV Times. The other day, Ultra and I were watching the episode of Nearest and Dearest, and this particular episode was called The Power Behind the Throne. And it was all about how there was a WC installed. But Jimmy Jewell didn't want the commoners, the workers, to use it. It was just for himself. Now, I'm sort of imagining that the TV Times listing for that would have been something along the lines of when a new WC is installed at the pickle factory, all manner of chaos ensues, or something along those lines. The description that's on YouTube is, A new crapper causes a lot of shit. And I don't think that that is word for word, verbatim, what came from the Listings magazine. Or for that matter, what, for example, Philip Ellsmore would have spoken that night. There's something about the the overall structure of it. I bet Paul I Lally could have made that sound like a proposal of marriage. I think it's too short. I think that it's not going to fill the required space for the TV times. And I think also, okay, maybe I'm just being a prude, but I'm thinking it's, it's ever so slightly too common. Well, bear in mind what the content of the episode was. It's not really. Hilarious. Yeah, that was wild. We weren't even watching this for a... <laughs> watching this when a production meeting went horribly wrong. <laughs> but yes, it really is just toilet humour, including a few of those jokes where the audience have to pause and then it's like, yep, he did imply what I thought he was implying. There was one line, it wasn't in that episode, but there was one line, I think it was the Christmas one, that made me absolutely howl. What's the name of the bald fella? The guy who never speaks. Everybody knows the one you mean. Yeah, they're playing charades because 
it's Christmas Day and they're starving and they're frozen in in this particular location. So in order to you know have some jollity on the day, plain charades, and Hilda Baker says about the mute fella, she shouts, "Oh, he's got one!" And Jimmy Joe says. Oh, well, that's sorted out a bit for a start. And the thing is, it gets no reaction at all from the audience. But as soon as I thought about it, I thought, oh, my God. Right, okay, I get what he's saying, right? If that was spelled out anymore, then you couldn't include it. I'm trying to remember the other charade when the guy lifts up his jacket just to display his still betrousered rear end. What place name was he trying to indicate? And I know Joe Gladwin comes out with a suggestion that... It was too close to his idea, which would have involved exposing himself. <laughs> was it Ram's bottom? don't know where the Ram comes <laughs> The point is, I don't think that you can get enough of Nearest and Dearest. And legitimately, I'm going to get it on DVD. Seriously, I, I, I'm actually thinking... It's just thinking of different things for Jimmy Jewell to say when two people come in. Hey, up, hauling arts. <laughs> I'm hoping that it becomes more and more abstract as time goes on. Eventually, it's... Oh, here he is. Breeze block. Oh, here he comes. Capri's son. Oh, oh thought it was themselves. The munch punch. Munch punch! <laughs> now, I'm actually in high spirits this week because I don't know why I'm in particular high spirits about it because it's actually more relevant to yourself, Ocho, because you're in the far-flung wild corner of the United States. But it's election time, midterm elections. And by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll already have happened. But that means, of course, election night viewing, and I'm a big fan. I will not have voted, as I'm not a US citizen, but I might have operated a voting machine. Really? I did last time. Okay. Now, well, okay, what do you, so what do you do? What, what's, what's the... What's the, what's the it's, it's like a weird little one-armed bandit. You have to turn a wheel and press a button. It, I was doing this with permission. I was not doing anything untoward. I was helping my father-in-law use the voting machine. Did all the choices exactly like he chose them. But it did mean that I got to operate a voting machine and find out how it works. can't remember who it was. Somebody did ask me what the voting machines were like in the UK. I said, well, they're made of wood and they have a graphite core and you hold it in one hand. <laughs> they went, no. I said, yeah, pencil and paper. Yes, yes, pencil and paper. It works. It does work. That's the thing. But then again, we only vote generally for one candidate at a time. The US election thing, I've seen a polling card and it's not a polling card it is a booklet with you're voting for the senators state senators i don't know if, i don't know we're not voting for governor i think i'm not heard any, i haven't heard jerry brown's name used in vain recently you're voting for things like school board members school district commissioners i mean you hear that joke about running for dog catcher i, I imagine there are places where that might even be an elected position, and then you're voting on propositions for different changes, I suppose, maybe to the state constitution or just some strange little laws which apparently can't be passed by the nearest applicable legislature. So you're there for a good few minutes. Well, you see, unlike the UK elections, I mean, we'll have a general election next year, May, and I know that they like the graphics and what have you on BBC, and Jeremy Vine gets to do some silly nonsense, has some 3D graphics pop up and what have you. It's nothing in comparison to what they'll have in the States. I mean, CNN on election night is like... Okay, how can I describe this? 
if you were to get the very essence of the opening titles to Undermanning and turn them into a series of election-like graphics, that's what it would be like. Now, that's quite a leap that I've made there. I can't see it myself. Take a letter, Mr. Jones, maybe. Okay, well, you got all that equipment, of course. Eight Star, they're probably involved. They probably supply some of the hardware. But I'll give you an example. So a few years ago, and you can probably find this on YouTube, CNN unveiled their latest technological device. And this was a hologram. Now, I'm not making this up. Right, this is true. So I think it was Wolf Blitzer was the host. And he's there, CNN Center in Atlanta. And he's saying, and back in the day, of course, we'd have to speak to our correspondent down the line. But now, well, hey! And before you know it, the correspondent who is at, I think it might have been like one of the primaries, she just appears in front of a presenter in the studio. Like that, like a genie out of a bottle. And they're raving about this and saying, you know, look at this, this is pretty swish, isn't it? And then they actually explain the details of how this came about, how they were able to make this happen. And what it turns out is that the correspondent on the ground, she was standing in a tent and she was surrounded by multiple cameras, which, when they were all put together, could create this sort of hologrammatic replica of herself so that then they could make her appear in the studio and have a conversation with the host. And for whatever reason, I can't figure it out myself, but do you know what? Didn't catch on. I'm not expecting any holograms to appear on the election night coverage this week. Not even Les Dawson? No, no, not at all. And the best part was that they were explaining, but because of this wonderful technology that they've got, it's actually much, much easier for the correspondent on the ground to hear the presenter because of this new setup. What she was actually basically saying was that normally when she's stood with a crowd of people on location, it can be difficult to hear the presenter in your earpiece. But this time she's standing in a tent. Therefore, she can hear the presenter much, much more clearly. That I could understand. If they were to say, only on CNN will you have correspondents standing in a tent that's been specially constructed so that they can hear us better and they can answer our questions more clearly. I would accept that. I would think, okay, yes, that's a good investment. But what I don't see is any need for them to then have like that dozen or so HD cameras, which probably ran into hundreds of thousands of pounds. I mean, this reminds me of the kind of stuff they got Desmond Wilcox to do on election nights doesn't really add a great deal to the understanding the of the, the story. Ida for in Trafalgar Square. Okay, what happened was traditionally they would have, for example, Alan Wicker in Trafalgar Square, when people used to congregate in Trafalgar Square on election nights, and then interview a few people and say, how did you vote and so on, and then you get like the students all jumping into the fountain and all that kind of stuff. It reaches a peak and in... And Jack the... Douglas and Sue Nichols. Oh, anyway, 1970 reaches its peak because you've actually got two screens. And Desmond Wilcox, who's now taken over from Alan Wicker, he mentions this and says there's one BBC screen, there's one ITV screen. And the crowd's all there and they can see what's going on and so on. Now, by 74, ITV's discarded this. They're now just going to go to the scene of the different counts and what have you. So that's leaving Desmond Wilcox the whole of Trafalgar Square to play with. October 74 election, the polls had pointed to a three-figure majority for Wilson. So the BBC reckoned that they probably have quite a lot of time to kill that night. So they stationed Desmond Wilcox there, big screen, and he's got all these crowds around him and what have you. And he gets also slightly touchy when 
Alistair Burnett says, oh, there's Desmond Wilcox. He's as much a part of Trafalgar Square as Nelson and the Lions. And Desmond Wilcox says, oh, very funny, Alistair. We've obviously been cast as a comedy subplot of the evening. Anyway, he starts, <laughs> ask, he starts asking people questions about how they voted and then cuts them off as soon as they start to answer. The whole thing lasts for 89 seconds. They never return to Desmond Wilcox for the rest of the programme. Because as it turns out, the exit poll is wrong, and instead of it being a three-figure majority for Wilson, it actually turns out to be a majority of three. So, therefore, they're much more concerned about the counts and the results and so on and so on, and they haven't actually got time to piss about if there's some Wilcox in Trafalgar Square. So, God only knows what he was doing all evening, but he wasn't on the screen. I sort of miss that. I would like to see that reintroduced. I'd like to see a great deal of expense spent on some sort of gimmick for the BBC election coverage next year that then gets scant use. Like, for example... I'd just like to see more chippiness, like, oh, we're the comedy relief, are we? And maybe for there being difficulty actually interviewing the main players of the night and getting results out because of sniping between news staff. (laughs) Well, sometimes it can boil over. I'm not the one who threw a tantrum in the staff canteen. Because they didn't have potato croquettes like they said they were going to. It's that sort of thing. That's Bill Grundy, wasn't it? Bill Grundy apparently once punched a canteen assistant at Thames because he wasn't best pleased about the service that he got. That's grim. Maybe when he had that altercation with the Sex Pistols. I don't know. It could just be that even though it wasn't really all that bad and what have you, maybe people were just sort of glad to see the back of him anyway. And let's tackle this as well. Most people in the UK did not see that when it went out. It was a regional programme for London. That's something to tackle sometimes. If we ever do go broader into television culture, not just sitcoms, things people think they saw that they couldn't have seen because they're liars. Yeah, there is a lot. Okay, I mean, yeah, okay, no, to be fair, not everybody is going to be lying. Some people will. No, have people just... lie habitually. Yeah, some people lie, but some people also just have you. false memories. How? Oh, hang on, what do you mean me? When have I ever lied? When have I ever told Didn't you once tell somebody that the first person to use the word lesbian on British television was Tony Hancock and he got a four month suspended sentence <laughs> and a £450 <laughs> fine? Yeah, I did do that, yes. Yeah, that is, that is true. But, okay, it's their fault for not looking it up and checking afterwards. All right, here's an example. Warsaw Gummidge said cow shit once. <laughs> and I'm I've, telling you... I don't... I'm not necessarily doubting you. I was merely passing on a report of somebody else who thought they'd heard that and then reported that, no, they, they hadn't. But if you can find the episode, bring it to me. But things like people who claim to have seen things which are actually outtakes, they didn't see things happen at the time, a bit like Grand Pricks. I can't remember the name of the presenter, but she's only a child presenter. It's on a London show called Our Show, which was a Saturday morning thing. And she's supposed to be talking about the Grand Prix. Being only a child, she reads it as it's spelled. She says Grand Prix. She gets corrected. But Our Show was pre-recorded and they had plenty of retake time. So that never actually went out. And I'm not saying anybody has claimed to have seen that, but it's the kind of thing people might have said they saw when they couldn't have seen. The th- the only thing I have heard about people digging the heels in, now that I have a little bit of time to think about it, is those infamous names on Captain Pugwash. Ah, yes. Yes, which, of course. Which, there was a libel case over that, which was lost by the newspaper that stated that they were dirty characters. But apparently you will still find people, you can find them in the YouTube comments, who will say, oh, no, 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 I saw it. 
And Captain Pogosh actually has a reasonable survival rate. I think even one of the 1959 episodes, something like episode two, still exists. And of course, it'd been a newspaper strip before it came to TV. It was in the Eagle from about 1950. I used to have a book about children's TV. It was just there was some sort of, you know, it was a throwaway thing. It was like, a, you know, an oversized book full of pictures and, and just like general basic information. Uh, not a lot of original research in it. And they had a section about Captain Pugwash. And the only thing that was notable about this book was that there was a paragraph that had been applied as a sticker <laughs> in the book. And you could clearly see through the sticker that the original paragraph had said something along the lines of, however, with names such as, you know, these stories are no longer, you know, quite as innocent as they once seemed. And this sticker had been applied to presumably all the copies of the book to say, um, it's come to our attention, actually, this idea that there was disgusting, filthy names in Captain Pugwash isn't true. <laughs> and we apologise wholeheartedly to the people who made Captain Pugwash and everything and anything, and there you are. So... If you happen to have that book, and I know that's pretty vague information to go on, but if you happen to have that book and you've got one without the sticker, then it's probably worth something. I'd get it up on eBay. I actually like the idea of us compiling a list of television myths. I'll state categorically that when we do that episode, I will not bullshit. I know that I've got a tendency to sometimes, as I think, okay, I won't mention who it was, because I once heard a politician use the expression, it is acceptable to tell less than the truth. Which I thought was a lovely way of, of phrasing it. But, okay, now I promise that if we do that, Mythbusters, whatever it's called, I think there's a program on Discovery called that, isn't there? There is, yes. Yep. But, okay, if we do television Mythbusters, I will not bullshit during that. Well, I'll tell you what, especially for that edition, before we do that, I want you to watch every single episode of Wurzel Gummidge and Wurzel Gummidge Down Under oh, just to be sure. Won't you be satisfied? Won't your mind be at rest knowing that you've fixed it one way or the other? And I also need you to go back in time to the days of live television and watch Wurzel Gummidge Turns Detective, which I believe was on BBC television circa 1952. No longer exists, wasn't even recorded in the first place, but you need to check that as well. Even if you have to invent time travel to do it, I think you will benefit from the inner tranquility he said it. I'm, I'm just see this this insistence. This this is a problem with the 21st century. This insistence upon proof and evidence. You can't do a MythBusters without <laughs> any proof. <laughs> Otherwise, you can just say no, 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 not having it. To anything, dear Sitcom Club MythBusters, I recall that before TSW. There was some company with a ship, but I was only three at the time. What was it? No, nope, no, there wasn't. No, nope, no, nope. there's always TSW. Can't do that. You can't do that. I'll approach it like the UFO skeptic on the day to day. When he's told that there is substantial evidence to support this claim, and he just says, There isn't. Wasn't, wasn't that the um, out of body experience of the person yes. who came back as a woman? Yes, I just liked how beatific. No, there wasn't. <laughs> But he came back as a woman. No, he didn't. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be semi-serious here. I'm really not. But I think that perhaps is a little bit too much emphasis these days placed on facts. And I think that there should be... No, I think there should be more whimsy and more 
suggestion and more outright bullshit. I mean, okay. History is what you can remember. Is that your philosophy? No. Okay, right. Slinger's Day. That was exactly the way I remember it, with Brucey constantly breaking the fourth wall. If that is how you choose to remember it, then that's how it happened. But I can't revisit that memory. Reality won't let me. The DVD show that I was wrong. <laughs> it just means that that episode hasn't been released yet. That's all it means. Okay, I'd like to see, for example, a news program of an evening where presenters are allowed to hypothesize about the stories of that day. That's Fox News, isn't it? Hey, hey! satire. Politics. But, okay, and also, I mean, I'd like, for example, this just wouldn't be allowed because there'd be sort of laws or whatever against it, right? I would love to see a program where you got, say, professional newscaster to read out that day's news, but you deliberately only gave them, say, 50% of the information and you blacked out the rest of it on the script. And so it's a sort of a, in a way, sort of... Well, and you gave them cold medication that they reacted to. Now, okay, we're not going to go there because, actually, you can't libel Peter Woods now, can you? No, okay, so... It's not a matter of libeling him. The reason I admitted his name is I didn't want to pick on him. We don't really know what happened. It was an amusing incident, but it doesn't really make him less of a person. It was just something silly that happened at work. His work just happened to be being a newsreader and it went a bit wrong. It was just a shame you had to say the phrase the seventh successive month, which was rather difficult to actually come out with. So who wouldn't like to see it? Like New Ed New Edwards. Okay, no, we'll go with that. Yeah. Okay, New Edwards. New Edwards is going to present the 10 o'clock news, right? And it's the alternative 10 o'clock news where it's the news in bits and pieces. Right, so they've given him like half the information, and he's allowed to just say it on air. He's allowed to think out loud and just say, "Okay, well, yeah, I reckon the chances are I probably was like this, and well, I don't know, because like we all do no, that, actually, don't I, we?" I would rather see a program where people talked about films and television, and we only saw the least accurate recollections, and maybe we used a little bit of Photoshop and editing magic to make things closer to what they remember. If you just go out, okay, I'm not in any way wishing to insult the recall abilities of the general public, but I think if you went out and you were to ask people about their favourite televisual moments, and then you said, for example, we all remember, do we not, the time that Benny Hill took a leak on the stage at the Royal Variety performance. If you say that with a straight face then surely a lot of the people, a lot of respondents are going to say, yeah, actually, do you know what? I was I was actually watching that that night. Uh, I, I do remember that. Yes, I remember that very vividly. Yeah, but they might just be saying that to make it go away. No, I mean, I mean, let's be kind. Let's bring people in. Just get them to talk and find the ones that least match reality and say, look, this is what this show is about. By the way, we've noticed that you said this happened. Actually, this happened. Would you mind us using it as part of an entertainment program? You are in on the joke. Because the sheer pleasure is in seeing history bend under the weight of human memory. So what you're saying is that their incorrect recollections were now going to turn them into reality, basically. Yes. I like that. I like that. Okay, yes. Yeah, there could be some fun in this. Oh, speaking of memories, I was very pleased to verify one the other day, at least 90% verify, that there was a time when there was a man on Wogan who was very aged, miming to a song from the 1930s. I was, I was actually going to close the show with that. That's exactly I was going to... You're going to close the show with It's Holiday Time Again. 
You're going to sing it? No, but I was going to ask you about well, it. Well, who cares? I thought you might have gone to the bother of learning how to yodel and play the harmonica. Did Well, did he play the harmonica on the show? Did he yodel on no, the show? No, he mimed. That was the great thing. Well, I can, mime. I, can, I can mime him bloody... I can mime me because doing it as well. obviously, Wogan had always been having musical guests on miming. But unlike certain people, not naming any names, Johnny Hates Jazz. I'm assuming they were on the Wogan show. I just wanted to use them as one of those left-field pop cultural references that passes for humour in this day and age, Jossie's Giants. Let me just refer to Johnny Hates Jazz briefly for a moment. They appeared on Wogan on the edition that got repeated a couple of years back, where it was the 20th anniversary of Radio 1. And they were performing their song, I Don't Want to Be a Hero, is sort of like some sort of anti-war thing. And one of the guests on the show was Pete Murray. I'd love to have known what he was thinking when they were singing about this. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you're just sort of thinking, you'd be listening to the thinking, a bunch of bloody reds, bloody... Now, we know that Pete Murray did previously say that a vote for Labour... Is a vote for communism. Yes. That doesn't make him a war hawk. <laughs> I don't think we should misrepresent his views on no, every aspect I, no, of No, I didn't, I didn't say that's what he was thinking. I'm just saying I would love to have... But anyway, okay, so George Van Dusen, the yodeler. You need to explain what this is about. Um, He had released or re-released a song called It's Party Time Again. It had got to something like number 48 in the charts. It felt to be a good story. He was about 84 at the time of his Wogan appearance, and this was for the follow-up single, It's Holiday Time Again, which similarly was a good old-fashioned song and probably initially appeared as a 78. It had been re-released as a 45 in 1989. Unfortunately, it didn't chart, but he did get to go on the Wogan show and mime it like a proper pop star. But there was just something about the fact that, of course, he had such a limited dynamic range that you couldn't switch off and pretend he was really singing it. And he was yodeling. I mean, his lip syncing was fine and his harmonica syncing was exemplary. But I couldn't be entirely sure I'd seen this. I might have been mixing things up, but I've confirmed it. Yes, it really happened. Okay, my memory had been that he was 100. That wasn't right. And now really all I need to do in my life is find out what exactly the nature of the show being shown on Yorkshire Television at 10 to 10 on May the 28th, 1986 was. It's called Nuts or The Nuts. My memory is it was a Norwegian sketch show. I could be wrong. Well, if you happen to know what details of Nuts, 10 to 10, what was the date? I think it was May the 28th, 1986. Right, okay. If you don't have any details, or specifically, if you have the Yorkshire region edition of the TV Times for that week, do let I'm us know. sure if I found a copy, there wouldn't be a capsule description. <laughs> Just 10 to 10, nuts, 10, 20, something else. No, well, back then, 1986, I mean, okay, they're now having to share the listing space with the with Channel 4, but even then, no, I think there would have been something. I think there would have been something. I mean, it's not. it's not... If it had been like post nineteen ninety one, by this point they've now got like BBC listings and what have you, then yes, it would have been problematic. But no, I think if we could track that down, I think that we might be able to. We're we're, we're going to do it. That, that that's now the holy grail. We're going to find that. We're going to find Warsaw saying cow shit, and we're going to get an episode of Honey for Tea. Well, yours is easy to do because every episode is out there. Well, how do you know that every episode of Nuts isn't online? I've looked. But I don't know exactly the search terms. I have looked for nuts, Norwegian comedy, nothing. Seriously, nothing that looks 
anything like I remember. It probably wasn't even Norwegian. It's just that was my memory. And and history is what you can remember, apparently, according to Mooncat's law. <laughs> Which was a really terrible detective series, let's be honest. Mooncat's law, it was no canon, let's, let's be honest. But anyway, okay, so if you do have anything for us, then let us know. Get in touch with us at the Sitcom Club on Twitter and on Facebook, or email us at feedback at sitcomclub.com, where you can also get hold of all the previous episodes of the podcast, and there are now 60 of them, including this one, in the archives. So when we're on our brief, synchronised with the House of Commons mid-November week-long break next week, you can plunder that and listen to all manner of things. What do you recommend people listen to, Ocho? Just good friends, because we didn't enjoy it, and I think people like the fact that we don't always enjoy things. Ah, <laughs> uh, Vince and the mouse traps. No, actually, I don't think that made the final cut, did it? No. Anyway, in the meantime, Ocho, you've been Ocho. Tell you what didn't make the final cut last week, the fact that you were shocked that I knew what Calmac was. Well, I was astonished. There is an Ardrossan hashtag. I was delighted to find that out. Well, there was a place called Ardrossan, I believe. Well, that's the thing. That's 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 where the Calmac to Brodick leaves. That's why you, have, you get to Ardrossan at five o'clock in the morning and... Having looked at the Ardrossan hashtag, it looks like a fine town, but it's not difficult to differentiate between Ardrossan at five o'clock in the morning in Las Vegas. You're shivering and cold and questioning your life decisions. You get on the Calmac and you go to Brodick, by which time the sun's come out, feeling a bit better about life. I've got a funny feeling that if I was to Bringen head first, go to Las Vegas and put all of my savings on 32 red... I reckon that I could be sitting there at five o'clock in the morning, questioning my life decisions. I might be a little bit warmer than I would be in Ardrossan, but that's a really the only difference. You, you, yeah, that's the thing. You wouldn't actually think you were in Ardrossan, though. It depends. You wouldn't look around at your surroundings and think, how did I end up in Ardrossan? It depends on how much creme de menthe I've been consuming over the course of the evening, whilst trying any fruitless attempt to win back my losses. Well, what happens in Vegas ends up being mopped up from the pavements of Ardrossan. <laughs> <laughs> that was my pitch for a slogan. I think Glasgow's Miles Better is just out in front. Bradford's bouncing back. Really? Is that actually that what they had? a single by um, a snooker player whose name also escapes me because I'm not really up on snooker players. Who's the famous snooker player from Bradford? Or Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson, yes. Bradford's Bouncing Back by Joe Johnson. This is a slightly defensive slogan. Bradford's Bouncing Back. It sounds like the Alan Partridge autobiography. We're a defensive people. <laughs> that should have been the slogan. Bradford, we're a defensive people. So watch out. Please. No more. That would have been... <laughs> Bradford, don't laugh. Oh, Drossen. Oh, Jesus! Anyway, um... No, click on the hashtag. It looks like a swinging little town. Be kind. When you say swinging, do you mean in the you're only young twice? I'm sure that if you went into any dwelling within our Drossen, there'd be plenty of Ronco Buttoneers super glued to the ceiling. <laughs> and Henry McGee with his dressing gown. With a jar of Savlon. Flapping in the wind. At 5am questioning his life decisions. Anyway, thank you very much indeed for listening to this mailbag. 
based episode of the sitcom club and we'll be back in two weeks time when we'll be talking about all things sitcom or not anyway you've been ocho i've been mooncat and this has been the sitcom club <laughs>